classes. Um, children will go up front there. Youth are dismissed to the back. Um, at 11 a.m., we will be taking in Aaron Johnston, that's member. Um, since it's 9 a.m., I think we have a picture. Aaron is our facility manager. So there's Aaron. You've probably seen him also with hair. Um, but yeah, we're going to be jumping back into the book of Luke this morning. Um, we're thinking about compassion is kind of the word we um, want to focus on. But before we get there, um, this is one of my favorite psalms. says this, Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. And come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and not we ourselves. And we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his covenant love endures forever. His, full th his faithfulness continues through all generations. Thinking this morning about how it's a good morning because we have the blessing, the opportunity, the privilege to worship our good God together. Amen. Um, this morning, I was um, the passage we're looking at is a pretty familiar passage. It's the rich man and Lazarus. And upon first reading of the passage, when I try to like outline the series and say this is what I think God's going, my my original thought was this is good news for those who listen, and especially because of the verse at the end. But in, in true to form, as I was studying this week, more than listening, the word that kept coming back to me was compassion, compassion, compassion. The interesting thing about that is that, you know, when we go to Scripture, um, I love how the Holy Spirit interacts with us in Scripture. When the Bible says Scripture is living and active, that's a real thing, right? Um, there's a lot of times that we learn Scripture through the characters, the stories, through verses and passages. But one of the things I love about the Holy Spirit's interaction with us is that when we come back to those same passages, we get a double blessing because we learn more truths, right? And, and, and those truths seem to be familiar and needed in the season that we're in. So the classic example I told in the blog this week was John 3.16, right? This is a verse that a lot of us who grew up in church grew up hearing. But the irony of this verse is that even though the verse clearly states what it's about, because of how we're, we're taught it and maybe because of ourselves, we interpret it as this is for me, right? The verse clearly says, for God so loved the world, right? But I heard it as what? For God so loved Henry, right? That he gave his one and only son, yes, for me, right? That whosoever believed, not whosoever, but me, I believed, right? Like in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, no, the verse itself is about God's plan for the world. God's plan for everyone. God's plan for every single person who believes. But my interpretation, because of how I was uh, taught it, but also because of how I interpreted it, was like, oh my goodness, God is so good. He sent Jesus to die for me. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, right? All of us have to make that decision to choose to follow Jesus. But, like, that's what I needed in that season as a 7-year-old, as an 8-year-old, as a 9-year-old. But the double truths that I've come back to John chapter 3, I've learned in different seasons that that passage is about surrender, but also about the signs of how God's working and moving. It's about being born of the Holy Spirit and not just being born about the flesh. It's about what Jesus teaches but also the testimony we're called to give. It's about God so loved the world, not just God so loved me. So I love that when we got to, or when I came back to, to Luke 16 this week, even though my original thought was like, this is about people who listen, I really, really through it found that, that God speaks good news, not just to those who listen, but this passage is about compassion. Now, I think God speaks through scripture. That's why we get different things every time we go in. 
But I also think God speaks through nature. When I was younger, I used to love to go hiking, right? Because I was a city kid. So like things like stars amazed me, right? Like when I looked up and saw more than two and it wasn't a plane, I'm like, this is amazing. Look at God, right? Um, but, but now I don't get a chance to go hiking a lot. The closest I get in nature is my wife blessed me with this blow up hot tub, which I made fun of her for, but now I go in every day. Right? The last two weeks have been a little rough because it's been like over 40 degrees. And you can't go in the hot tub, at least my hot tub, over 40 because it's just miserable. Like you need it to be like 15 degrees, right? Like you need to be freezing and you go in there and it's amazing. But that's how I've been getting into nature. I'd be out there with the squirrels, you know? Me and the, the, the little hummingbirds be flapping their wings. And I just sit there and I watch them. And what I love about that, because it's a reminder, right, of that passage in the Gospels when Jesus says, look at the birds, they don't worry. And no matter what's going on, and I got to tell you, it's been a hard last two months for me personally on many different levels. But when I sit in that hot tub, I love that when I sit, this is how city I am. When I sit in the hot tub, that's my, that's my sitting in nature. <laughs> right? But when I see those birds flapping their wings, when I see the squirrels jumping back and forth, when I see them just being who they are, who they're created to be, I hear the verse of God talking to me. We see God in scripture, but we also learn about God, not just through nature, not just through scripture, but also through people. <laughs> because it's people who teach us sometimes about the characters of the Bible, about the stories, the verses, and passages. And one of the people who's probably most formative in my faith was a guy by the name of Rich Mullins. Now, the interesting thing about Rich Mullins is every time I come back to him, I, I hear something that I was just like, I thought I came up with that, right? And the, the classic one I was told you guys about is live and love like Jesus. Now, I knew there was a, when Rich passed away, there was a, a VHS. Some of our young people don't know what that is. I can't wait when I say some of our young people. Some of our young people don't know what VHS is, but that's what we had back in the day. And I, had, I still have this VHS of Rich Mullins called Homeless Man. Now we got something called the YouTube. I don't need to find my VHS player. I can go on YouTube, right? And I was looking for this quote on compassion. Because Rich didn't just teach me about how to live and love like Jesus, but he had this quote about compassion that was very, very different than how we normally or how I normally think about compassion. I think about compassion as something you do, something you have, something you give. But he identified compassion, right, as what the word originally meant, and that's actually to come suffer with. That's different. That's very different, right? If I'm compassionate, it's not just some love I give you, some grace I give you, some mercy I give you, but it's the idea of leaving where I am to go where you are to actually suffer with you. Uh, the idea of, of Jesus leaving the church behind, the idea of we are light, all of this comes from rich. And when I found this, this coat, I was like, this is what it was, right? And he says this, I love the name compassion. You know, passion comes from a word that means to suffer. And come, of course, means with. So compassion means to suffer with. And when you see the love of God becoming visible to people who have lived in darkness, in the darkness that is different from, from the darkness that we live in, it actually excites you. It really excites you. And it really kind of rekindles your own flame and your own passion for Christ. And for too long, the church has believed and has bought into this idea that the government can take care of the poor. And this is a tragic flaw in our thinking. The government can give money to the poor, but that doesn't take care of them. The church, we, us, body, believers, we are the organism that Jesus has put into the world to take care of the poor. You folks, you are the light of the world, you. 
I remember hearing that as a 13, 14-year-old. And I'm happy to still say that as a 40-year-old. And that's how God works with people in our lives, to teach us, to mold us, to put these truths into us. And so when I was coming to this passage about the rich man and Lazarus, I kind of shifted a little bit. Because I grew up hearing, don't wait until it's too late. Don't be like Lazarus, right? When you're, you're, you're in suffering and, and separated from God and, and wishing that you had lived better, wishing you had done better, wishing that you could go back and tell people, don't wait for Lazarus. But just like last week, Jesus reminded us through one parable that the banquet isn't just coming, it's here who's invited. I believe this passage challenges us to say that compassion isn't just coming, it's here. How are you being compassionate? This is a parable about heaven and earth. This is a parable about not just choosing to follow God, but choosing to come suffer with. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 16. I'll be reading verses 19 and 31. We'll also have it up front so you can follow there as well. Luke 16, starting at verse 19. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores, and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called up to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this between us, you and between us and you is a great chasm has set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Let's pray. Our Father, our God of compassion, we pray this morning that you fill us with your compassion. Help us to be compassionate as you're compassionate, but help us to hold our compassion not just as love, grace, and mercy to be doled out, but truly to leave our privilege, our blessings, our position, our power, and to actually come down and suffer with. Father God, we pray that that compassion that, that, that sent heaven to earth, that compassion that sent Jesus to us, that compassion that came for the world may be the same compassion that fills us too. Holy Spirit, lead us, guide us, fill us not just with what we've learned, fill us with love, fill us with grace, fill us with mercy, fill us with hope, fill us with compassion. May we be so filled that we can't help but let it spill out, out of us and into our world. May we be so filled that we can't help but see sisters and brothers not just suffering, not just acknowledging it, not just posting about it, but actually going to suffer with. May we be so filled that we remember that you have left us to be the light of the world. You have left us to show your love to the world. You have left us to make your kingdom come. Lord, compassion is coming. 
but you invite us to bring it today. In your holy and precious name, amen. Like I said, this passage, when I first read it, was all about salvation to me. When I, when I first read it, it was like, choose this day who you will serve. I choose Jesus, right? And then the next year at summer camp, I choose Jesus again just to make sure, right? And the passage is pretty straightforward on the, the outset. We hear about a rich man, and I think it's fascinating that in a, a, a scripture, in a text, in a culture, that names are very, very important. We get the name of the beggar Lazarus. He's personalized. He's a person that, that God sees. But the rich man doesn't even get a name. I think that's significant. Because when our identity is not in Christ, when our identity is in what we have, when our identity is in who we are apart from Christ, we might as well be like this rich man. And his identity wasn't in Christ, wasn't in following God. It was in purple, the sign of royalty and wealth. It was in the fine linen. It was in the luxury that he lived with every single day. When we are identified more by what we have than who we are, that is not just a character problem. That's a Christian problem. Do we look like our Christ when our world sees us? Do they see us as rich and privileged and powerful? Or do they see us as Jesus, light bringers into the world? And then you have Lazarus who's named who's seen by God, who in a world where society leaves him behind, he's not just a beggar. He has no home. He's not just broken. He has body covered with sores. He's not just uncared for, but the sores are so bad that these ravenous dogs come and they lick him, and not one person says, get away from him. This is the Lazarus of the story. And he's longing, not just for a meal, but for scraps. Scraps. He's not saying, hey, when you throw out the garbage, let me get it. He's saying, hey, maybe once a week, if you remember, when you scrap and you're done feeding your, your, your family and your children and your dogs, the scraps are the leftover. He's longing for even that. And Jesus is doing something that a lot of the ancient teachers did, right? There was this great moral story. And because he's Jesus, he's going to change it, right? The moral story was going to be kind of how we interpret it. It's like, this is why you got to change and make the decision today. But that's not where Jesus is going because his kingdom is not just coming. It's also here. And, and as the story moves along, Lazarus dies. And it's significant that at the place of suffering, at his death, Jesus feels the need to remind us that what? Angels carried him to heaven. I love that. I grew up in church and we said, you know, uh, absent from the body means present with the Lord. And I didn't even know what that means, but it sounded good. But I love the idea that even in the midst of suffering, even when no one sees us, not only does God see us, but when this life takes everything out of us, when we lose by earth standards, when we lose the thing most of us hold so dear, our lives, that those who have been faithful, the angels can't wait but to lift your souls and take you up to heaven. I think that's significant because they carry him to heaven, carry him to Abraham's side. Yet when the rich man dies, there are no angels to carry him to Abraham's side. There's probably some friends and family to take him to the grave. And that's a challenge for us. It was a challenge for me. Am I living in a way that the angels are ready to welcome me home? 
Or am I living in a way that I'm going to be still living in the grave? Am I living in a way that at the time I breathe my last breath, I'm excitedly going up to heaven? Because I've been living heaven on earth. Or am I living in a way where I'm living so much for myself that all I have to look forward to is a fancy tomb? Maybe a, a Henry Boyma Johnson mausoleum. How are we living? So, so the, the, the Lazarus gets carried to heaven. The rich man dies on the spot, buried in a tomb. And he awakes. He awakes in what the, the ancients called Hades. It's this, this place of torment. This place of eternal torment. And yet in the place of torment, I love how some people, I think, miss the whole point of the story. And they'll be like, but where is Hades? What is Jesus trying to teach here? He's teaching about compassion. And he's telling a parable to teach you about compassion. Don't focus on Hades. But the point he's making does remain. That this man who didn't live to follow God now wakes up in Hades and he's tormented. And it's not just the pain and suffering that he's in. He's tormented because he can see someone else doing better. And even in his torment, sin rears its head. Remember when you were a kid and maybe your cousins came over. Maybe, I'm not going to say everyone had siblings, right? Some of us had siblings, so this happened every single day, right? But sometimes you had your cousins or your friends over and, and like, the, the, the food gets all dished out, right? And what did you do? You looked at it, scanned that room, make sure everything was equal. And if it wasn't equal, you made sure what? You got the bigger piece, right? And nothing was more painful than when someone you know, perhaps didn't deserve it, got a bigger piece of chicken than you. Right? Like, you look at them sometimes like, Mom, I'm your son. Like, what is going on here? They're leaving tomorrow. You got to stick with me. Like, why do I get the small piece of chicken? And I bring that up because I think it's fascinating that even in his torment, he looks up and be like, man, I wish I had it better. I wish, not that I lived a better life, but I wish I just had access to relief, access to just a drop of water. He asks for mercy. He says, Father Abraham, have pity on me. He asks for grace, saying, send Lazarus just with a, a tip of water on his tongue to cool me. You see, mercy is not getting what we do deserve from God. And grace is God giving what we don't deserve. And in our time of suffering and torment, we need mercy and grace. And so he calls out, what I love about this passage is he calls Abraham father a couple times. But Abraham's not even acting like a father any time in this passage, right? Most fathers, I hope, if you have a child that's suffering, you go to what? Suffer with, right? You show compassion. Abraham is like, you ain't know me when you was living. I don't know you now. And so, so Abraham says, man, you're in agony now. That kind of stinks, don't it? But Lazarus is comforted. There's nothing that makes agony more agonizing than someone to be like, I know that stinks, but you deserve it. But I'm doing good. In fact, your brother's doing good. That guy that used to like, he's doing great. And then Abraham says, even if I wanted to. There's this chasm, there's this divide, and no one can leave where they are. I can't come there, Lazarus can't come there, and you sure can't come here. And, and so the rich man says, okay, fine, right? This is what I've earned, this is where I am. Can you please send Lazarus then to warn my family? Let them know. And again, Father Abraham, with his compassion, says what? Listen, they got Moses and the prophets. They have the same thing you had. 
They had the scripture. They had the witness. They had the testimony. They have everything that they need. The rich man says, please send Lazarus so that they can believe. And Moses is like, no, no, no. They got everything they need. And so he says, but listen, if, if someone rises from the dead, right, if a resurrected person comes, they will believe then. And Abraham doubles and triples down again and says, well, no, 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 again. They got Moses. They got the prophets. They ain't going to believe nobody raising from the dead. They got everything they need. And then the passage ends. If you're an ancient listening to this passage, you'd be like, wait, what's the good news? Like, like usually, like, we got to piece it together, right? Like, it's just like, it's like a fairy tale. Like, it's got to end good. You know, like, then you read the original fairy tales, and they're all terrified. Like, I don't know how people read these to their children. You, you Westerners, you Europeans are weird, right? Like, like you used to terrify the kids and be like, now go sleep, little Billy, right? No wonder Disney took them over, right? And it's just like, these fairy tales are frightening. But in the ancient telling of these fairy tales, there was always good news at the end. But they would hear it, but like, wait, no, no one's coming back, <laughs> like, to warn them? Like, Jesus, what are you doing here? And so that's why I think a lot of us, when we first read this passage, we make it about salvation, right? We say, listen, ain't nobody coming back. So while you're here today, make that decision to follow Jesus. Choose today who you'll serve, right? Choose today whether or not you're going to give your life to Jesus. And if you've already done that, choose today to rededicate your life to Jesus. If you've already done that, choose today to follow Jesus. If you've already done that, choose today to listen to God. We make it about the choice of today that has eternal consequences. But if Jesus' kingdom is not just coming, it's already here, we also have to ask ourselves, what are the everyday consequences now? What does compassion look like now? Yes, choose for eternity who you will serve. Give your life to Jesus. But I think Jesus in this passage is saying, it's not just that no one's coming back. It's that today, if you are my people, if you are my family, if you are my body, you have to choose to love your neighbor today. And I think that's why it's good news for us. Because our Jesus is calling us here to choose compassion over complacency. I told the story about my, my, my good friend from high school, Tim Becker, who used to wear this shirt, complacency is a sin. And his brother Jake first wore it, and then Tim wore it. And I think I've shared about how a couple years ago Tim passed away, and now he's one of the saints looking down upon me, and I know he's encouraging me. But I think about that shirt a lot. Because when we wore that shirt, it was so our wrestling coaches could terrify us and make us do ungodly things in the, 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 the sake of being in shape, you know. It's like they would just try to, like, kill your spirit and kill your body so you can go kill someone else too. This is why I became a pacifist, y'all. I had to have all this bad killing in my head. But the core teaching that I remember about that passage, though, is that complacency isn't just a sin. Complacency is our default. And so when we choose compassion, it's not just knowing about suffering. First, we got to acknowledge suffering. We got to acknowledge wrongdoing. We got to acknowledge people's stories. We got to acknowledge the pain they're in. Because there's something about our brain that's fascinating how God made us. And that's simply this. We don't really care until we care. That's 100% how we're made. Right? My first car was a blue Toyota. Guess what I still see on the road every single day? A blue Toyota. 
right? Like that's how God made us. You might be wearing a distinct pair of glasses, right? You and I can walk down the street in Harrisburg, make three laps around the whole city. You will notice every single person wearing those same glasses. I will not because they're not my glasses. I don't see through them. I don't even know what glasses you're wearing, right? But that's how God has made us. We don't care until we care. So we must acknowledge so we can know. We must know so we can act. That's compassion. Compassion isn't just saying there's darkness in the world. It's not just saying there's suffering in the world. Compassion is saying, how do I suffer with? How do I step off my soapbox, close my social media, and actually go to the suffering, go to the people in need, and suffer with? Compassion, not complacency, that is our call. That would have changed the rich man's life, but it also would have changed Lazarus's earth. Choose compassion, not complacency. Choose compassion today, not consequences tomorrow. There's a lot of us who see injustice. And our default is just like, well, vengeance is mine, says the Lord, right? And some of us will be like, I wish I was about the Lord's business on that one. And that's our reaction to injustice. And I get that. But the thing is, I do believe that in the end, God will make it right. I do believe that justice is coming. But I think until God's justice come, God has left his spirit and his church. So our question should be, what does justice look like today in our work together? When we see injustice, how are we acknowledging it? How are we knowing it? How are we acting to remove that injustice? That is compassion. Choose compassion, not just the justice to come tomorrow, but what if God has called you to be his justice today? And I think it gets a little bit harder for us because those might seem like big, big things. Because I think we also have to choose compassion and not consumption. And I don't know, Ms. Bivens gave me a love of words, right? But I love that a generation or two ago, consumption was what? A disease, right? Tuberculosis, a deadly disease that just swallowed us up. The funny thing is we have maybe medicine for tuberculosis, but the other consumption of materialism, of bigger, better, faster, of I want more, 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 of I got to stack this paycheck on that paycheck with that paycheck, or, or, or of maybe I'm not wealthy, but I'm all right. Right? This idea of me and mine, the consuming we see not just in our society, but in our own lives. Compassion means we need to choose not consuming everything, not building everything for ourselves, but actually realizing that what? We've been blessed to be a blessing. That we're in the position we're in, not so we look better, but that so we can go down and help. That everything we've been given is not just for us and mine, it's for the kingdom and the people who are suffering. We can't follow the world's lead and choose consumption because consumption kills. Compassion brings life. And the last thing about compassion is that we ought to all think about ways, even this week, even today, how we choose compassion over comfort. Because complacency is a kind of comfort. Because seeing and acknowledging injustice but not acting on it is a kind of comfort. 
Because consuming, whether it's what I eat or what I have or what I don't have, consuming and consumption, that is a comfort to some. Suffering with is not a comfort. We have a world that's as lonely as it's ever been. We have a world that's seemingly as broken as it's ever been. We have people who are just in need of love and mercy and hug, right? People won't believe that God loves them if you don't love them. People won't believe that God is real if you don't show how God is real in your life. If we look like everyone else, why would they ever even consider this Jesus we claim that we're living for? My sisters and brothers, my prayer for all of us is that we are choosing compassion. And that the compassion isn't just the love we give, the grace we give, the mercy we give, the comfort we give others. But that the love is the thing that's actually pushing us to come suffer with. Because if our world is lonely, you can be that hug. If our world's broken, you can breathe that healing. And if there's chasms that are separating us, God has chosen you as the peacemaker to bring us together. Rich man and Lazarus isn't just, hey, let me choose to follow God so I don't suffer in torment. And there's probably a lot of people who got in heaven with that message. But all of us are still here on earth. And while we're on earth, sisters and brothers, may we choose compassion to bring heaven down to the suffering. Amen? like to call up the worship team. We're going to end um, singing Better is One Day. Better is one day in your courts. Better is one day in your praise. Better is one day than thousands elsewhere. But as we sing this song, I also want to invite you to the altar. Um, any of the pastors in the room, please come up front. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray for you on this topic of compassion. Maybe there's someone who has broken your heart or some, some situation has breaking your heart and you've known it, you've acknowledged it, but now you need to go act on it. Or maybe you're the one in need of feeling that compassion, of feeling God's love, God's touch, God's mercy. We'd love to pray for you for anything that's going on. But as we sing this song, may we be reminded that Jesus is not just calling us to wish for heaven, to wait for heaven, but to bring heaven down to earth. May those who suffer know God's love through us. Let's stand and sing together.
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The Lord, the Lord God, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and truth. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord God has compassion on those who love him. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great, great is your faithfulness. Our Father and God, we thank you this morning that we know compassion because you have been compassionate. That we can go and know and, and act and, and be moved because you have known and acted and you are moved to act on our behalf. Lord, we thank you that the Father of all mercies, the Father of all grace, the Father of all compassion is the one who's taught us to be merciful, to be gracious, to be compassionate. So Lord, now as we leave, we pray that you fill us up, not just with dreams of heaven to come, but ways to fight and bring heaven on earth. God, we pray that we are not just choosing to follow you to secure our place eternally, but we're choosing to follow you to make those brothers and sisters who are now in, in, in the, the Hades and the hells of this world, who are now in the grips of suffering and suffering through oppression and marginalization and injustice. Lord, may we be empowered to be filled with your compassion. Lord, help us to learn what it means to suffer with. Help us to learn what it means to show love. Lord, in a world that needs you, you've sent them us. May we be bold enough. May we be humble enough. May we be loving enough to meet the need. Holy Spirit, lead us and guide us. Guide our thoughts. Guide our actions. Show us how to be the light. And Lord Jesus, our Christ, we thank you that you ultimately are the example for us. That you left heaven to come to earth. That you saw brokenness and worked to fix it that you redeemed and you reconciled. And Lord, you made a way for people to come home. May we do the same in compassion. May we leave our places of privilege to go to the sufferings and injustices. May we leave the, 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 the things that we have and own and let that not be our identity. May our identity only be you, Christ Jesus. May we not just hope for heaven. May we make on earth as it is in heaven. God of all compassion, fill us with compassion. God of all grace, fill us with grace. God of all mercy and love, fill us with mercy and love. As we go, may we gift it to our world as you've gifted it to us. May we be compassionate as our Father is compassionate. Jesus, in your holy and precious name we pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a good week.